Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 108. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the monkeys' solo years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the Solo Monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover, and this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get headquartered. 
A Timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. This is the final episode of Season 3. Due to the pandemic, we will continue on next week with Season 4. My Warren Kramer book is finally being laid out and is looking really good. I'm also still working on my Mad Book and a new Kool-Aid Man article. We'll discuss this and other new projects throughout the year. Letters, we get letters. Jeff Craig had this to say about Episode 104. This is so fascinating. You guys are great. My dad will love this. I need to download it and put it on his Kindle Fire Reader as he and my mom have never gone digital. No computer, no internet. Today's guests are the incomparable Charles F. Rosene, and today he's brought along author, producer, engineer, and designer Stuart Dinky Dawson, who is a legend in the music industry, a true innovator, and visionary in the field of sound. Here they are, Charles and Dinky. Okay, uh, this is Mark Arnold with Charles Rosene and Dinky Dawson on the Fun Ideas Podcast. How are both of you today? I'm fine. How's Charles? <laughs> um, I look as tired as Dinky feels. <laughs> I, I, I'm tired. I just came back from acupuncture, so I'm uh, I'm enjoying myself right now. I put uh, I put up my uh, my Union Jack behind me for you. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a normal Liverpool thing. <laughs> <laughs> They last today, so what can I say? <laughs> so, so, Dinky, where do you hail from? Where are you living nowadays? I'm in Plymouth, uh, as it's called. It's, we call it Plymouth um, in Massachusetts, but oh, okay. it's spelled Plymouth. Okay. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, that's, that's where I live. It's right on the coast down here. In, on the, uh, been here for many, many years. Let's put it this way. Did you get another snowstorm yesterday? Oh, yeah, that tell me about it. We got about another <laughs> five at least inches. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the small stuff that kills me. It's nothing. To, the big stuff you can get buried in, but it's the small stuff. And, you know, I drove into Boston at 6.30 this morning to get acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, there was nothing on the roads, but it looked, a winter wonderland coming back, and yet yeah, still starting to, you know, the squalls and whatever. But, you know, I've lived up here and I lived up here in the blizzard of 78. I got into trouble driving around. Uh, you're not supposed to be out. My crew looked after the uh, the WBCN in Boston at the Prudential. I had to walk up all the stairs because there was no elevators at the time. And they were on the top floor. So, <laughs> so I, I've had my days with the snow. <laughs> but... I'm not a Florida person, although I've got lots of friends that live down there in St. Augustine. I'm, um, no, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I want to go down. Uh, it's, it's a, I'd rather live in, because I'm brought up in Yorkshire. What are you going to do when you, get, when you come from Yorkshire? What are you going to do, you know? Yeah. How did you get from Yorkshire into the music uh, business? Well, let's put it this way. 1966, I just posted in the... In in the 60s, 70s um, site of, 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 of London. A ticket that you might like, that you've probably seen the other day, come from Ready, Steady, Go. Now, I was a dancer on Ready, Steady, Go in that time with Peter Stringfeller. I owned, I had disc jockeys and I had two nightclubs myself mm-hmm. and, uh, at that time, uh, the pendulum with my other partners. 
and uh, the LBGA club that we had. Then um, I got introduced to this um, uh, from one of these friends of ours from the Alan Bound set who became a roadie there. To um, I'd just come back from Germany. Uh, uh, you'd like this one um, for sure. You'd like this one. I was performing in a, in a, in a club called Kiel, in Kiel called Star Palace in Kiel for Manfred Wantella and the opening act, I should say, the main act was this guy, unbelievable soul singing, unbelievable guy called Paul Raven. Does that ring a bell? No. <laughs> because <laughs> Paul Raven was such a dick. He wouldn't go on on the, on, the, on the thing. He wouldn't do anything. But he changed his name to a guy called Gary Glitter. Ah. Oh, yes. But, but he could sing his... I mean, really sing so wonderful with the soul band behind him from Ireland. was phenomenal. And I used to put them on and stuff. And then i go down to, to Hamburg and see some friends down there that actually, under, um, that, you know, lived... Uh, and hung out and the hookers that were with, with the Beatles in them days, you know, in the in the in the sixties and stuff. And I, I'll tell you what they did that they why they were phenomenal and and not many people understand, but I should think you two guys would. They played three shows a night, just like we did in nineteen eighty two with Mamas and Papas in Vegas. When you play three shows a night for five nights a week you get tight and you get tight. When they left Germany, them guys were so tight musically. Uh, they were adorable, uh, absolutely unbelievable. Are we, talking, are we talking about the searchers or Jerry oh, and the Beatles? Beatles. <laughs> Beatles. The Beatles. I'm paying attention. I met Tony Sheridan's wife and a bunch of the, uh, other those people that lived there at that time. Um, well, it was 67 at that time, so it's a few years later than what the Beatles spec did. But they were all still there, you know, because of the scene was so good and whatever, you know. So I got to know all the stories, stuff that I'm not supposed to say um, about what they actually did in Germany. And unfortunately, when I was with Fleetwood Mac, we were, in, we were done the same problem well, that uh, Peter did. They took us to East. He took him to East Germany and started doing the cult stuff there. That what they did to the Beatles, was it the, the Black Magic rituals and all that stuff. You know, Dinky, was it the same circuit? Was it Star Club in yeah. top yeah. ten? All those places? Yeah, Star Club, the Star Palace, the Star. Um, all those were in cahoots. It was like it's the German mafia. It was the the in cahoots. Um, they're wonderful because I I went. I would have gone in to do this Jane in Hamburg, but they wanted somebody in Kiel. And uh, we had another guy in the ambassador club from England doing DJing. And, but we were like, we just kept our minds and ourselves to ourselves. We were told, because we were living in the club, all right, upstairs in the club, we were told never to go down the club once the, once the audience is gone. Just do not go into the club till the next day. And things happened. There was shots fired. There was all kinds of stuff in my time that I was there. I didn't even want to know what they did. It's that kind of a place, you see. It was that kind of interesting. And, and the next day we were told to shut up and we got a hooker in our rooms, that kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that, it was all done. And anything that was going on was all hush-hush, whatever. You just stayed out. You did your job. 
like Paul. He got up on stage and he could sing and he wowed these people to death. It really did, not just the Germans, but being in Kiel, it's, it's, it's where the Navy's coming from around the world to do Kielowaka for the Kiel Week. So you got the Mexican Navy, the American Navies, you got all these different ones coming in and they were rowdy. But they loved the soul music that I play and they loved the music that, that Paul played. What's interesting is, uh, and Mark, I, I think, knows this too, Gary Glitter's only hit in the United States was an instrumental. Yeah. yeah. The only yeah. vocal was, hey. Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. it, it, and then some people know it as Doctor Who because they, a different band <laughs> covered it, so they go, Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. Doctor Who. All, I, all, all I know is that the soul stuff they, that they were doing with the Irish show band, uh, the bass player married the, the heir of their fortune for Adidas. Adidas, the you know the the, the the sportswear, it was just like a, a, the scene was wonderful. We we you know they created it in such a way for us that it was so inviting to see people coming in and enjoying themselves with 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 this music and stuff and 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 with every every part of the entertainment side of it. But anyway, that was the Beatles. I, I can't tell you that the other stories because. Well, let's put it this way. The Beatles did the rituals in, in, in Germany, uh, the, the selling the soul, the, the whole deal, and look what happened. But they didn't need to because they were playing an amazing amount of rock and roll, three nights, three shows a night, and that's what got them. Mm -hmm. And then when I get back to England in 67, um, uh, I was asked at the club one by like the Alan Bounds role manager, which uh, was a, a really good band out of it, out of London. Um, there was this opening for this this roadie stuff, and I says, "Well, I, I was a steel worker, and I just left that. I'd got my own sound system that I was putting together for the DJ stuff. The next thing I know, I'm at Mick Fleetwood's Muse, down, uh, actually his sister's Muse, down in London, picking up." A, a transit van and their equipment, and I br brought it all the way back to Sheffield and fixed it up. It was destroyed. There was wires off there, but I knew what I was doing. And there's a there's a um, a film of me uh, on the first gig or second gig that I did. I can't remember of me getting picking up John McVie's um, bass amp and slamming it on the thing just because to, to keep the tubes, the valves in. Uh, and sealed, and, and you hear the bass come up in the thing. It's like <laughs> the first second for and, uh, 45 minutes. But I learned out of that, that stuff on, on what to do with, um, and, and then I became real close friends with a guy called Charlie Watkins. Charlie Watkins is when. If it hadn't been for Charlie Watkins, there would have been no English music coming out. Charlie Watkins was the key to all the music in England. I'm serious. I mean, when you look back, what he did in the original, in the skiffle days, his company, Wem, were the only people that had acoustic guitars in every shop for people to buy. He, he, he to this day, that Wem, and June is the only one left, and that's his wife in her 80s, they legally own every accordion that comes into England. Every accordion you have to, goes through them from Italy. And over the years, Charlie invented everything like he invented the, the MIDI the organ in the 80s and stuff like that, uh, MIDI the accordion. And so he could play orchestra with it on, on the computer. It was so, so fun. But Charlie, every show, Charles, that he did at London, the Hyde Park, 
the, the Windsor Jazz Festival, the Isle of Wight, the Bath, every festival you saw Wem at, he did, Charlie did, for free. Not hmm. one dime of dollar or pound that he got for that. Like the Stones and the Pipe Park. I, I posted a photograph of, of Fleetwood Mac's second gig that I did in 1968 um, at, at them at Hyde Park with all the audiences on the stage at that time. This is one of the first early gigs of, uh, of doing the stuff in, in, in Hyde Park. And you see the group car, the group back all huddled up playing and all the crowds on there, just like we were in the bar. We did that in the afternoon and then we drove to Southampton and did the, the ballroom in Southampton at night. That's what we were doing. We were creating stuff as, as, it, as it came along. If it hadn't been for Charlie, there would have been no Jim Marshall because that first amplifier he had was a dominator. And that circuit, it changed into, only thing he did is make it from 14 watts to 50 watts. Same circuit. And that amplifier that he made, that 50 watt Marshall amplifier is the best amplifier that they ever made. Everything else from there sucks. But it's still <laughs> Charlie, Charlie Watkins. And every cabinet that he had that Jim Marshall built from the, and the first run was not from Jim Marshall, it was from Wem. Uh, what Charlie did was just spectacular for the scene, you know, everything that you saw in that time period. But it goes back even more. What Charlie did in the 50s was invented the, elect, uh, the um, um, copycat. Now, that copycat saved many people's business because Jimi Hendrix, for one, became... Charlie's best friend. He, Jimmy would come over to, to the place all the time to, just to play the accordion. Jimmy was an incredible accordion player. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I posted that on, on Facebook about three years ago. Uh, Jimmy playing the accordion. Nobody could believe it. No, that's not Jimmy. It's Jimmy Hendrix playing the accordion. No, it was incredible. Him and Charlie would play together. And people like David Boy, Boy would come over in the uh, at lunch as a young man, just to have the stories that Charlie would tell about uh, all the groups he used to do in the 50s from America. All the acts that came through the, 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 that he did, every sound system for, from uh, Buddy Holly to every one of the, the Big Bob, every one of them that came through England from the 50s and all the way through the 60s were all using when. And Charlie was the one that went, went through all it. In fact, the birds... The original birds hated the web. I go over there and they get me and buy me to come out, out to Fleetwood Mac. When I was with Fleetwood Mac, I, I left to go and join the birds and I made them buy a web. I brought the web over to this country and Wait, showed them how we could go make money in colleges. We did three years of colleges without a commercial date. We just did gyms and we did this, that, and other. We could pioneered stuff in the 70s, 70, 71. When I left Peter... I left in uh, 1971 in, um, when Peter was starting to get a little funny. Now that brings me to... Dickie, you know, let us ask, let us ask, how did you go from England and being entrenched with Hendrix and, and in, in the British scene, how did you jump to the States? You were with Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood and then, Mac. And then all of a sudden you're with the birds and you're yeah. with the mamas and yeah. the poppers. Well, what happened with Fleetwood Mac, Peter started, uh, we tried to help Peter, he went beyond it and in, in, in doing too much acid and stuff. And, um, and we, we tried to look after him. And, but we, I'd come to America with Fleetwood Mac twice. 
And during that time, we became friends with groups such as the Grateful Dead, uh, It's a Beautiful Day, um, and then individuals along the way, Kansas from um, the uh, roadie from Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa people. But I then was become really popular because we opened it for a group called The Birds in Chicago, and we blew them away. And the next thing I knew, uh, we actually blew Blue Cheer away in, in Detroit. We blew them off stage. Peter, I'll tell you this story, you're going to love this one. Um, Peter used to play 16 bass solo just for, just for laughs, just, just, just for fun. Mm -hmm. Well, we all got all this Fender, we all got all this gear. Peter looked at me, I'm out in the sound stuff, doing the sound and stuff, and he looked at me and he said, ding it! And that was it. I just came running to the stage, and what I did is hook up every amplifier in the place to Peter's bass, plus the sound system, and I turned it up, and the building started falling down. It started rattling and falling down. The audience is freaking out, having a great old time. And I'm pissing myself because it was just so loud. And then, then he just blended it down and brought the electric guitars in and just ripped this place apart. Grandy Ballroom, Russ Gibb. Russ Gibb, the next day, the night before, he sent two people after me and Peter who got the cash in our hands. He sent two people after us. Um, and Peter ran into it. We knew what they were trying to do. We called Russ Gibb out on an aeroplane going to Miami to the Miami Pop Festival the next day from Detroit. And we, we, we said that you will never get another English act. We'll, we'll close it down. We'll call Frank Barcelona up at, 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 um, at Premier Talent and we'll stop it. And we did. We just, they couldn't believe it because they would send, the, it sent the boys to get the money because I got the cash in my pockets. We never worked unless we, the who's even worse than us. The who, let me tell you. But anyway, <laughs> I know Bobby and stuff, Bobby Pritt and all that. But anyway, the bottom line is that was sensational uh, in Detroit. But prior to that was in Chicago. I'd met the birds. Uh, Rody, uh, uh, tour manager, Jimmy Sider. And he completely went nuts. So I got a call in the summer. Uh, we'd, we'd quit with Fleetwood Mac in 1970. Um, um, 71, I think it was, in the spring. I've got, uh, I've got it all listed down, all the dates. And um, the next thing I know, uh, I got a call from, from uh, Jimmy Sider. Would you come on tour with us in, in, in Europe? We're going to be going to Germany. We're going to go to Holland. We've got these festivals. <laughs> this one festival in Germany called TAN, Total Action Now, in, a, in an arena. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I said, yeah, well, well, I'll get the truck. We'll bring all the gear into England, and we'll, we'll set it off from there, and I'll take the wind with us and stuff. So we did. And I... Next thing I know, I'm going over London Bridge and I see John McVie uh, in his car and I backed at him and, he, and I waved at him and I got cider in the car. He has never forgot that. He is so pissed off with me for leaving <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. You left us in the middle with Nelly Bell, he calls the old truck. I didn't get Nelly Bell, I took a Navy's truck. But basically, yeah, that was it. I just, but I wasn't going for the whole time. I was just going for them three weeks. But what happened is that we had a, an event in, oh, that's a whole story that I wrote a book on um, uh, the, called Life on the Road, and it's all about the birds, about uh, us breaking down in Ghent, uh, Belgium, on our way to Total Action Now. 
and that's just a ghost story involved and all kinds of stuff that I mean real stuff that really went down that would freak you out but we were just we just were normal to us because it was things that were happening so we go to Total Action Now Festival and that's the first thing I'm doing and they introduce me to the birds because I've not really met them personally so I'm doing getting ready to set up and who comes up on the top tier but this guy with a guitar running around the top tier of the, the whole place. It's Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry didn't want to go on stage unless he got paid double because he saw 30-odd thousand people out there. <laughs> Typical Chuck Berry. I didn't know. And Oh, Jimmy says, oh, that's Chuck. Don't worry about it. He'll be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, he knew because Jimmy knew all the ins and outs of all these characters, you know. But, but when I was first show at the Birds, we just... They couldn't believe what they were hearing. And they, were, uh, they could hear themselves sing. They could hear themselves do the things. So we did the next gig was in Holland for Barry Vista. Now that was the big festival that everybody's on it and people were going over these moats in these big giant um, humbugs, plastic humbugs. All, all, it was phenomenal scene. I mean, 300 plus thousand, worse than Woodstock at that time. And, it, and the dead were there, and this was, and I, and I was having a time of my life just for fun. But we we just absolutely blew that place apart. And then the next gig, we blew that one apart. With this one. And they, they kept saying, you got to come with us, you got to come with us. So I ended up saying, okay, the, the fleet was not going to go out for a while. Let me just see what happens. So I got on a plane with them, went back to, to, to Los Angeles, took I wanted. I told them I wanted to get this Wem, so I took them all down to Wem, and and they no problem. They were they bought they would buy the Wem and me to go across to America to perform and stuff. And um, the first day I get to the LAX, with Jimmy Sider, this limo's waiting for me outside, and this young man called Terry Melcher. Do you know who Terry? Is? Yeah, of course. Doris and he also well, hung out with the Beach Boys and a lot of other people, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, that all seemed, well, that, that's why I'm going to, to Howard and Mark and stuff. Anyway, so the next thing I know, I'm in this limo, and next thing, Jimmy Sider is just about going to nail Terry Melcher in the middle of the limo. He's trying to give us this key to this house. You're going to stay here, Dinky. The only thing you got to do is clean it out first. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about this thing, seriously. Didn't know nothing about it. The next thing I hear is Jimmy say, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. He's coming over to my house and we're going to get our own birdhouse. Well, <laughs> I didn't know, but it was the Manson house. It was where what had happened. See, what had happened is Terry, Terry had given Sharon the house for the weekend while Terry went to her house on the beach. It already turned Manson down three or four times on the records and stuff he proposed. Mm -hmm. So, but Manson didn't understand that, that thing about swapping homes for, you know, what these guys used to do in Hollywood. They used to do that and, um, and have parties in there so you don't have to go that far. And that was a sad scene that happened. I didn't know that old damn thing and stuff and this is after the fact. So I ended up in Hesby uh, Street or whatever it's called in, in the hills with, at Jimmy's house. And three, three weeks later, even though we'd, we're doing some shows, Jimmy goes out and we get a, a house in um, Sherman Oaks called the Birdhouse. And the reason we call the Birdhouse is because birds would come with different girls. 
it was birds and birds and then different girls and birds and me and Carlos, Carlos Brunel. Now this is where this comes in. Carlos Brunel, who used to play, and do you know Carlos, uh, Charles? No. Car oh, you, 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 did you know the birds went to Africa, South Africa? I know, they go, I know they fly away when it gets cold, but I didn't know they went to Africa. No, they went to South Africa to play. Uh -huh. The bass player wouldn't go. But Carlos was the roadie and he played bass. Oh. So he went. Carlos Burnell was a, was the, a roadie and he was not only a roadie for, that, for them. Um, Jimmy introduced me to, to him at the, at the house. And the first day I met him, uh, there was this big parade going off down on Oliveira Street in, in, in um, L.A., Carson Boulevard there. Um, and he's, there's this guy in a white, all dressed up, Mexican guy with a big icon on a horse, drive, uh, down the... The next thing I know, this same guy is at my house, uh, Jimmy, with me and Jimmy, it's Carlos. His dad owned a good portion of that street because he had shops on it from Mex Mexican shops mm. up there or what have you. And then another character came in at the same time called Al Hirsch. Now, Al Hirsch, you may have heard of uh, in future times, but in that time, we used to call him Al, the kiddies pal, because the kiddie had a store on top of um, Topanga Canyon that sold claws, claws and pot, and claws and pot and many other things. And him and Carlos were running that. And they introduced me to this other characters that came in called Spanky and Spanky and our gang. It was mainly Spanky and her, and, and her family more than anything that, that were coming out of Topanga. And we were going to Topanga to the corral to see them play and stuff. The next thing I know who should come over is Howard and Mark from the Turtles. Yeah. I have no idea who these characters, yeah, I know all of them and this, that, and other, and, and they, 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 we got a new kid in town, you know, let's go see what's going on here. <laughs> and they were fun. They came in, we smoked a lot of weed, you know, it was, it was really just um, get together and, and, and get together and, not, and, and meet people. Well, then after that, what happened is over the years, right, I started my own sound company in 1972. But I never, I, I, this is when it gets with all the turtle stuff. So now we're going up to a whole few decades later. By 1990, um, um, by 1983, actually, actually, 80, 82, I was asked by, cars called me uh, from New York, and then I hear this on the phone, would you come down to New York and would you help us? I said, what do you need? And she says, well, we're reforming the mamas and papas. Hmm. So I'd not met John before, but I went down to, 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 to New Jersey in the Cadillac Eldorado I had, this old Cadillac. The next thing I know is my best pal in my front seat and, and, and John. But <laughs> we, we did rehearsals. We did all kinds of show stuff. We did, uh, you know, coming up, we did, I've got all that, uh, uh, lots of photos and stuff on that kind of thing. You know, we did uh, entertainment tonight and we did this, that and the other, uh, 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 to, just to showcase. And it was great to see Spanky, but she was singing her ass off in the Mamas and Papas. And then this young lady was, came in uh, in place of Michelle was, was uh, Laura Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and and um, and Denny and and uh, I mean they were they were just fantastic. Anyway, we got a little team going here because we were every time we went to a, a, to these gigs that were coming up, we were we were doing stuff. Now what had happened is Al decided to come along and do, do management side because Tucker was a lawyer that was managing in New York, but there was nobody like tour managing or, or other than Carlos. And Carlos is not a tour manager; he's just a um, a wonderful man. <laughs> and I'll tell you what happened to him, unfortunately. But anyway, um, Al uh, got us the four walls through this young man called David Fishoff in New York City. David Fishoff, why I'm bringing David in is because he's the key to everything. David was a baseball um, agent, uh, lawyer, business, and, and, and more of an agent than anything. And, uh, and they was just getting into the music stuff. So he was getting us, pushing us out. He put us in gross injuries in New York. And then talking to Al, they, they had got a deal together to four-wall the Sands in Las Vegas. All right? And four-walls the Sands means that we, got, we didn't get paid. We got everything we wanted for food. And we, um, we just had a great old time. All the hotels was paid for us. And it's that, oh, some great stuff happened there. Oh, my goodness. And this is where the Howard and Mark story starts. Because the first night we played, which is a Tuesday night, we were doing now three shows a night. Um, and it was till three o'clock or whatever in the morning. It was just, and it got these group really, really playing excellent. And the, and the band singing everything. So... After the show on Tuesday night, I'm, I get a, a call. I'm up in the sound booth from Al. Don't come into the dressing room. Frank's here. I said, what? He says, you have no idea. See, what had happened is Frank Sinatra got a contract out on John because he was bonking Mio Farrow and this, that, and the other. And John didn't like I mean, Frank didn't like that. But Frank came in with his henchman, and he just went straight up to Phillips, and he says, I'm going to forget this, but you have to do one thing for me. You have to get these 60s acts into Vegas for me. So John didn't know what to say, but Al jumped in and said, yeah, I'll get them, no problem. Next day, calls Fisher up. The next thing, Al's chiming off all these acts. I want the Turtles. I want Association. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't <laughs> Turtles Association? <laughs> no, I, I, I got a screen that came up in the thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, the Turtles, the Association, Gary Puckett, um, and, um, and anyone else you can find, and this, that, and the other. Well, what about the monkeys? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> what about the monkeys? So, so uh, but this is Fishoff going off the thing, and I said, and Al said, whatever you can get. Well, the, that next day, Frank came back the next day, and he found out that he was getting Gary Pocket, he was getting the association, he was getting the turtles. But they hadn't talked about the monkeys because Fischoff had got that in his bag because he wanted to put them in stadiums. <laughs> Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. so, so what happened is that the next thing we know, we got these opening acts. We got the association, we got the turtles, and we got uh, uh, Gary Pocket, you know? And so it was like a nice 60s kind of thing that, that went off. And it was packed every night. So we had no problem packing the place. It was just, it was, and then we moved on to other things. But in the meantime, this is um, 11th of, ja 11th of uh, January, 1983, that happened. 
And then the, the 17th of January, we're out there. Another th event happened. Upstairs, all of us, a sudden, there's commotion. And, and who comes after the, the, the elevator? But uh, And running into my room, but Peter Fonda. <laughs> and what it was, was he's trying to run away from the Japanese guys who was going, Honda for Fonda. He, he was there to support, to put, to promote Honda motorbikes because <laughs> he was getting a lot of money. And Al says, put, he's, Al was the one that put him in my room just to hide him because they didn't want him in, in John's room and then them other, other room because John didn't get off on, on, on Peter. Peter was a, um, a, Peter wasn't liked in a lot of ways with, the, with, the, with, the, with that scene of the community. Oh, that was a scene and a half. Dr. Lanks in LA. Anyway, um, but, but so that was the first thing. Then we go downstairs um, after all this chaos has gone on. We go downstairs and the bottom of the stairs, there's Eric playing one of these shovel machines, you know, for quarters. He's putting quarters in and they're pushing the quarters. And the next thing, yeah, the next thing happened was this guy called Paul Daniels, who's from England, and he was talking to Eric. He says, Eric, do this. And he showed him how to do it, and the whole damn machine just dropped. You see, he's a magician. Paul cannot go in there and play on the cards. So he had us a lot playing cards for him because he's, he, he just loved it. He, he just loved that whole thing. He can't play cards because the one lay him play because he was he knew how to count the cards and work the cards and make you know rip everybody off. But on the machines was a different story. We had buckets to empty this damn thing. I says, "We don't tell, don't tell anybody." It's all quarters. He says, "They're just going to look." But the whole machine went. He says, "No, there's techniques to all these machines, and <laughs> you know, make some money." I feel listen to me. But that's another character that came along on the on that that time period, and he came to the show and, and he couldn't believe it. He was like it, really excited about it, and, and he spread the word through England, and that's. That's how we got over there. Anyway, the next big event is what, what happened is with the Turtles. Is March 16th of that year of 83, uh, 90, yeah, 83, we were doing a TV show in, in um, Salt Lake City by, for this STS Communications, Skyless Communications or whatever it's called. And they asked me, because I'm mixing mamas and papas, we were the first ones in there, if I'd stay and, 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 and work with them on the association and turtles that were coming in. So how did Mark come in? And oh man, they're wonderful to work with because they're so professional. And I must, I'm on this new board. I said, I'm not that good at this. Let me, let the pros come in. I'll just talk to you, you know, and, and, and play with you. And that, and we had, we just had fun going back and forth emotional wise on video, you know, like, you know, come on, you know, you guys. And it was just like, We'd never, we'd always been together. We were all just uh, friends and what have you, but we weren't because it's the really first time I'd ever worked with them and this, that, and the other. But that was on, on TV. Now, May 10th, 1983 is when the big, big thing. They come to Boston to play, and Carlos calls me up because he's decided he'd, he'd go because mamas and papas are off and I'm at home doing projects, getting ready for the South Shore Music Circus and this, that, and the other because I was doing a lot of those M.O.R. acts in, in the, in the theatre in the round, you know. Sammy Davis, I didn't know all those people. Great, great performances. But anyway, this is after the STS. 
this is where it gets interesting. Just, just this one little story about how to mark. They're performing at Jonathan Swift's in Cambridge. And it's a funky little place downstairs. And Mark Parento was a disc jockey that was, um, you know, big old guy, big tall guy. Um, having fun with Mark and how and they were real storm before they went on and having a great old time. And they were really relaxing and relaxing. Mark goes and trips up, puts his shoulder up. The next thing you know, they've, they've taken him to Mount Auburn Hospital to get it to get it all fixed in. This is a Jonathan Swift. Put his shoulder back. And he wanted to go back on stage and stop. <laughs> That's typical Mark. You know, I mean, these guys just want to perform. They're just such wonderful and really do perform well. Now, at that time, you know, big hair was just starting to come in. And a big and the, and and they had a band that had the metal guitarist and this that and other playing and what have you, and they would just let him rip, you know, oh, look, rip it away, you know, and and then they'd sing high parts and do the whole thing, and and it was like being in, uh, watching Zappa in a lot of ways because of, of, of what was what was fun, but their shows were fantastic, and then Fishoff kept calling and kept calling, like, we're going to put a package together. And we're going to call it Happy Together. <laughs> and that's what it's been for the last 20-odd plus years or whatever it is. It's Happy Together tour, and you'll see the association. You'll see um, Gary. Gary's still going at it at this point, I think, Gary Puckett. Spanky, um, with, with Mamas and Papas, she only went so long, and then I think it was a few, quite a few years. And um, when John went, it was, um, um, what's his name, um, that came in, um, who did Gary, it. Gary Lewis did it. And, uh, no, 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 I'm not talking, I'm talking of... Um, Herman's Hermits for the Happy Together, Mark Lindsay. Yeah, that was it. Uh, that was the tours that they started doing, is, is, is that kind of packaging. But those packaging were going to the, uh, to the rooms also in Vegas and Reno, Tahoe. So like we went to the Reno, um, Atlantic City, and um, I got... I. I, I, the first night we get there, this guy comes over to see us, Tom Jones, right? He's performing at the street. Now, Tom, I did I tell you about that in, in 1966? I'm doing dancing and Ready, Steady, Go, but, you know, the BBC commissary for Ready Fusion, we were allowed to go in there, so we were all, all the dancers were in there and what have you. And who comes in here but this, this guy called, you know, Tom Jones. And we were all going, oh, it's not unusual. Next thing we know, this jello flying left and right and left and right. So that night he came in in Reno. I go, oh, Tom John, the jello man. He freaked <laughs> out because he remembered it. He remembered. I says, you, you know, I thought we were getting real bad, you know, with the, the who and, and, and the kinks when I they came in with the kinks when I worked with them uh, in 72 and they, they inaugurated me into the, to, to the kinks with the swimming pool with the um, TV in the pool and the settee and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they, they did that. And how they got out of that uh, and told the, the Holiday Inn people it was fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. We had all these fans that come over and they destroyed the place. You know what I mean? Really. <laughs> I mean, but these, is, these are the times and scenes that went off in the individual thing. And how the mark just kept calling and stuff, wanted to go out and and do even more. So with Fishoff doing the Happy Together, they were set.
for whatever they wanted to do. They could go on them tours in the summer, relax in the winter and go to Hawaii like they wanted to do and smoke ganja and stuff and have fun, you know, and still sing whenever they need and stuff. So they had a good thing going for quite a few years like that. And it's still going. I'm, I'm, I'm still amazed that, uh, uh, that, that they've still got that whole package together because I see them down the Melody Tent every so often right. and what have you. But that was basically the main story is throwing his shoulder out. And then I went back to, to on the June 14th and stuff in, uh, uh, to, to uh, Salt Lake City to do more STS stuff with, when they did some more stuff there, you know, singing and what have you. Uh, and, perf- uh, and it's all on video out there. So if you can get your hands on that, you'll get some good stuff off of that because that was classic stuff uh, for, for them did guys. You, did you ever produce them or work with them in the studio? No, I, I never did that. I'd love to because, um, you know, Todd would, would do that. Todd Rundgren, uh, uh, people like that would, would be doing that kind of thing. For me, studio was um, Fleetwood Mac, Chicago, uh, blues, with Marshall Chess and all that stuff. Um, I brought the birds to England um, and brought them into CBS and got CBS England to pay for an album that I wrote a song on with Gene called BB Class Road, Driving Down the Highway Seven Days a Week. And everybody thought they're having a tough time because the roadie wrote a song. But it was just time. Everybody was part of, of a team. And that team worked as, uh, well, really, really well together. And, and we proved it. We proved it. I just posted a letter, which you may have seen from Kent State, uh, thanking the birds um, for, uh, because we played there, but there weren't that many people. But what we'd done is that Roger Voss, our agent, Roger, a wonderful agent, if, if he was still alive, man, the, the stuff that you guys would learn from him, mm-hmm. uh, we would, we, in fact, you'll see a posting I posted today um, of... Um, Roger about Roger um, in um, uh, in Paris because <laughs> he told me and Carlos to stop beating on people and next thing we know there's Seymour Stein and there's Roger in the same hotel in Paris and he's pulling over the clerk beating the crap out of this clerk I said <laughs> Roger you're not that guy we do that stuff <laughs> you <know>? you're not <laughs> that guy and, and but it's such a wonderful wonderful agent. Now, anyway, you, I'm rambling on. Go on. I was curious of two things. Um, were you with the birds till the end when they broke up, like around '73? No, I, I, what I, I left in 1972 to form my own company. Okay. Uh, what I did is I, I did this. I, I had the largest music reproduction system in the world. It was left, right, center vocal cluster, and left, right, rear. Mm-hmm. All right, but it was at home hi-fi. It was the biggest hi-fi you'd ever seen in your life. Mahavishnu Orchestra blew the doors off with that everywhere we went. <laughs> and, um, and I did Lennox out in, uh, that's where I, uh, we, we did everything. I have a Lou Reed thing that I'm trying to get on Sundays right now that is phenomenal the, uh, from, from Lennox when we, we, had, we put a band together that became eventually, six months later, Alice Cooper, <laughs> band for Alice Cooper, Steve Hunter, Dick Wagner, the duet and stuff. And that rock and roll animal album sucks compared to the one I did, that we did there because it's a different band. The, we did um, that tour um, and we took them from Lennox, which gives an incredible side of things. 
And then the last gig was at the Rainbow in London. And the Rainbow in London was phenomenal. If you want to hear some of that tour, it's on Wolfgang's Vault. There's about six or seven shows on there. But that's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, on the bird stuff, there's about 120-odd bird shows that's on Wolfgang's Vault. They're all mine uh, and stuff like that. The birds in Manchester is phenomenal, which I, I'll post because I've been able to get it. Somebody posted on YouTube the whole the whole thing. So I'm going to post that up. Um, but phenomenal stuff. You know, we, we, we did a, a phenomenal shows, phenomenal things everywhere. Birds were wonderful at that time. But when I left, they were going through trauma then. You know, individual trauma. <laughs> well, all groups, all groups... <laughs> go through it even now you know yeah. but but you can work together and work it work it out because after that um i'd, I'd left and got i did uh, fleet with mac but i mean i did um in 1972 i i, I did the kinks mm -hmm. uh, their, their tour and the first tour they did for a while you know and this was 72 mm -hmm. and the opening band in three gigs down in texas when i first did it with the sound system was this young man called Steely Dan. <laughs> well, I ended up with Steely Dan. I have two platinums on the wall here that I worked on uh, in the studio. And, and But I've got all the live stuff from 70, uh, 73 on. Uh, no, 74 tour, the whole tour from 74 until uh, 75 when they, when they actually they quit. Because Steely Dan was just Walton Donald. Everybody else has paid employees. It's like the birds. The birds is only one person, is Roger. Everybody else is paid employees. Well, I have a, I have a steely question, though. Um, they had the B-side on one of their singles, of Bodhisattva, where oh, yeah. that drunk guy goes on stage and just uh, rambles on forever. Was, were I you was, there when that happened? <laughs> no, that's my recording. That, that, that's recording. that is your recording, okay. <laughs> that's Alpha Cassette. Oh, okay. Because I know they put it on B-side of a single one. Jerome, Mrs. Jerome. He trashed our truck. It was a driver that was sent out of LA, and I didn't. I knew that they got the wrong truck thing as soon as I saw him trash, <laughs> trash umpteen things, you know. But anyway, he came back because we fired. He got him fired and stuff. And he came back and he introduced him, and then let the next the next part um, is one. If you go on Wolfgang's vote, you'll hear one show that they did in the Paramount in um, um, Seattle, there or Portland or whatever it is. And you'll hear Chris Adamson. Now, Chris Adamson was my roadie with me. Um, and what is, is what, what you've heard him on is the Pink Floyd. You gotta have your meat, you gotta have your pudding. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then you hear him. That was Chris. And then you have okay. Chris, Chris introducing Steely Dan. You may, you may like him personally, I don't. And he still used to do some like that. But you want to hear the, 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 the rainbow show that's up there, if you were like Steely Dan, you want to hear the rainbow show from London that's on Wolfgang's. That is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm curious about also. Um... It's, it's, we blew, every time I went in there, because you see, and when we then came to uh, on the stage you're frozen no no you're not now you come back yeah <laughs> well we came in 
reason the connection is going every here. time they build a stage up for the rainbow they call it the one down but quality dynamics the dynamics is phenomenal and you'll hear you'll feel the guitars taking it this way taking it that way because it's in stereo and they're all all these guitarists are freaking out i said well it's just fun like because i'm taking off not the band that that's why i did the little read but it's just fun stuff that you're creating with the band Thank you. No. I know uh, Mark is starting to freeze over there. I don't know why, but I, I know he has one more question. I just want to give you the opportunity because we're almost out of time to plug, yeah. to plug the Wolf uh, Wolfgang's Vault. If people want to buy rare recordings and stuff, tell us about that. Well, Wolfgang's Vault came to me 10, 12, or whatever years ago. And they just bought, uh, this guy, Bill Sagan, just bought all Bill, Bill Graham's stuff from um, one of the media people, media right. things. And he got all the, all the, all the stuff, the posters. I, I should have shown you some of the posters. I've got more posters here uh, and stuff. I've got a Beatles one that, that is six foot by six foot. And it's worth a lot of money because I wrote on the, on the guitar, this, this myth. This machine kills. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just the Woody Guthrie thing, you know, at the time, you know. You just get carried away. But the Wolfgang's Vault um, originally was set up f to help the artists with the live recordings that I got with what Bill had got. And we introduced them to the Ash Grove recordings. We introduced them to many different people that we knew that had quality recordings because what the concept was was that they'll put them up, they'd charge for the recordings and stuff, uh, charge for them, and the artists would get the recordings, not the lawyers, not the record companies, but the artists. Well, they got sued by the record companies for millions and millions of dollars. So they ended up having to say nothing, they had to be a record company. That meant giving nothing away, but everything to the other record companies. Uh, all the stuff that uh, that there was that were the people, little groups, you know, just little, really good good artists um, that played and opened for us that became something. But they did, they wanted to they, the record companies wanted them because they were you know that's what they've got now, that's what's happening now with um, with CBS and stuff like that. Is that they don't want any other other person to come on there. They just want to provide from the material, especially from the seventies. The 70s is popular with the 20-year-olds right now, big time. My my youngest daughter, who's an architect down in Manhattan there, she she turned around and every time I ever get her in the car, first thing she does is put on the damn 70s on uh, on the series. And she, I said, well, so I kept sending the stuff that I'd done and she could, she said, you did that? I says, yeah, I did that, what's up? Well, you did that, and I took her out and spanked it. I did have one more question, and I wanted to ask it before we want, we wrap okay. up. Uh, you you mentioned your stories with the turtles there in the eighties. Um, I was just wondering, did you ever cross paths with them way back in the sixties, like if they came to England or anything like that? I was just curious. Not not uh, not in that time. Other than in the house in uh, in seventies uh, when we did when we did the uh, uh, at the birdhouse, they would come over half the time because I've got the receipts here from. The birds, right, from all the Fender equipment. And I see Howard and Mark, Howard and Mark. In other words, the Fender went over to Howard and Mark 
keyboard went over to Spanky. <laughs> Start laughing. Spanky, Gal Spanky Galvin. That's where the keyboard went. So we found out with all that stuff. Went. No, I never did the six in the 60s. 60s was a whole different ball game with us because we came from Sheffield. Um, the Beatles were our £75 a night group. Seriously, that's what we paid for them yeah. uh, at that time period. But we were getting more of the groups from Liverpool. Uh, Manchester we wouldn't get because it's War of the Roses. We used to, you know, get off, get off onto Herman, um, Hermits there and tell Peter Noon, you know, you're from Manchester. You, we don't, we, we're, we're Sheffield people. <laughs> but the Mojo Club, the Mojo Club had all the acts like Stevie Wonder um, played on, on one night. He could not believe the audience refused to leave the place and wanted to play the next day. So we'd sent everybody around to the all-night clubs in, in Manchester, New London, uh, not, not just London. In them days, there was no radio to do that. You have to, you know, there was that you could promote the stuff on. <laughs> but there was all-nighters. And the all-nighters were great because you'd pop in there in the middle of the night. <laughs> you'd get the steam packet coming through the club. Rod was so crazy. He'd go over to the... He wanted to go and see all the girls getting changed because they all had different negligees on in our club and stuff. And <laughs> he, he worked the cloak room and stuff like that. Yeah. But those were the fun times, you see. All that was, you could, even, up, even until the mid-70s, you could go and be with these people and have fun with them mm -hmm. and work with them. And, and, and they'd play and jam with you for hours and sing with you for hours. Because that was it. But then when the lawyers and the record companies came in, oh, you can't do that. There is two-hour recording of the first time that um, Carlos Santana came to England. When he came over, to, to uh, we had him come down the studio, and that's at Peter Green. Uh, and we're doing um, them play on. So he's in the, he comes in the studio before he goes to play Royal Albert Hall as the guest and stuff. Mm -hmm. And... Carlos, that's how we picked up Black Magic Woman. But there's a two-hour jam of them that Clifford's still got, and I've been on his case. We've got to put that out. The people will freak <laughs> out on that thing because it's really good. And, and a lot of them jam things that we did in the 60s with the dead at their, their place, um, Janice. Janice was our, our dear friend. Um, more stories on Janice. Janice used to run after Danny Kerwin like you won't believe she got my bat in, in uh, Sweden, hit me on the back. She says, this was in, um, she, I didn't know I was setting up in, in the Stockholm in the, in, the, in the concert house. The next thing I know, this woman hits me on the back. And I'm there, what the fuck? I was really upset, you know, I was like that. And it was Janice. She says, where is he? Where is he? She was chasing Danny. She, she went and she chased him everywhere. But it was, she, those were the good stuff. And then before Janice died, um, my friend Charlie Watkins, who I was telling about in England, who had WEM, he was over in America working on some stuff because she asked him to come over after they did their Albert Hall. I put the stuff in the Albert Hall with Charlie for Janice. I'd left it in because we did B.B. Uh, King, the, uh, I think it was the night before, before Janice was going in. Uh, one of the shows that Fleetwood played there. Oh, we played Albert Hall, and I brought in two six-foot parabola dishes for vocals, Six foot subscribers hung them on either side of the of the, of the um uh, the organ 
and the six-foot red things with black speakers facing into them. Mick Jagger comes up to me, to me and uh, this is after the show, he comes up to me. He says, boy, I like that, but boy, that's a, that woman doesn't look so well up there. It was like in the, the, the boobs. I said, Mick, it would go well with your inflatable dick. And he did. <laughs> he gave it to us. He gave us the dick to go and play roundhouse. We had the, we had the parables up there and the inflatable dick going up and down. In fact, you're, sit, you're here on the Fleetwood Mac show that says the roundhouse I'm Wolfgang's vault. Well, on that note, we should probably wrap this up. So um, I want to... Uh, I'll tell you, and, and Peter looks up and says... Oh, <laughs> anyway, on that note, I would like to wrap this up. Uh, There's so you, much of it. Thank you, thank you for being your guest. And I wish this connection was a little bit better here. That's the... And... Uh, uh, it's uh, going on the show as well on the fun ideas podcast and you know we learned a lot thank you for listening and thank you charles rosnay and dinky dawson for being my special guests on this final episode of season three episode 109 and season four will be coming soon if you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com become a patron of mark arnold and fun ideas productions if everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021. Fun Ideas Productions, thank you and good night. doors at the price I'm paying be glad it isn't yours now get up Don't fall back Don't fall